Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of Truth to Power, your happy hour here at the end of another crazy week in America and in Louisville. We're recording just after work on Friday. Uh, we love to get folks from the community around the microphones for this weekly community conversation. Always a different topic, always great stuff to talk about. Uh, this week we're going to focus on resisting pipelines and the fossil fuel build out. We're really excited to have a special guest on the line with us in the virtual studio. We've got Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. Welcome back to Forward Radio, Alice. Hey, it's really good to see you, Justin. Yeah. And um, I know there's so much going on in Louisville right now, and I'm really excited to get plugged in and learn more what's happening up there, but I'm really excited, too, to share this bigger national current that's right that's um, that's right and yeah getting ready tell us where you're joining us from today alice i'm in Harris, kentucky where i'm living right now and running my old handyman business and doing all this uh online hustle meeting people all over yeah. the country on the zoom and yeah. the, <laughs> all the systems <laughs> I know how that rolls. So you can learn more about Extinction Rebellion Kentucky if you want to play along at home. Uh, they're on Facebook, facebook.com slash xrebelky. Uh, so joining me, Justin Mogg, in the studio as well today is our Ford Radio community partner, Sowers of Justice, represented by Doug Lowry. Welcome back, Doug. Thank you, Justin. I'm glad to be here. There's lots to talk about. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just be fully transparent with listeners. We, we're going to have uh, Jeff Gill on tonight from uh, Hip Hop Cares to talk about the situation of the houseless in Louisville and the city's response. But guess what? He's busy responding to another clearing of an encampment uh, with the city pushing out uh, our most vulnerable populations from where they're trying to uh, scratch by existence. Uh, so he, he's out on the streets uh, taking care of that right now, and we honor him for that work, and we're going to reschedule him because we really want to talk to him about uh, the work of Hip Hop Cares and share that with you all. So stay tuned. Uh, maybe we'll get him on uh, in, on a future program. Um, but today we're going to talk about uh, the situation with the Enbridge Line 3 up in Minnesota and the people's resistance to it. We're really excited to have Alice joining us today because she is organizing people from Kentucky and the region right now to help go up and, and to the encampment in Minnesota in solidarity with this resistance project. Uh, Alice is planning to leave in early March, right? It's coming up soon. Yeah, and I have to say, I, you know, daydreamed that this would be more more spring-like. I am aware <laughs> that Minnesota's spring is later than Kentucky's spring. Yep, yep. And I uh, thought about going to the land of 10,000 lakes. Oh, yes. Beautiful spring weather. When the And they were on a, we had a panel discussion. We actually still have an Eventbrite um, fundraiser for the camps um, showing a movie called Necessity, Oil, Water, and Climate Resistance, which I highly recommend. Um, and all the proceeds are going to the camps. And we had a panel discussion related to that. And Tara was talking about, you know, people getting out the SAP equipment and seeing all the lines and taps starting to come out. And I was like, that sounds like wishful thinking because it's negative 20 right now. <laughs> yeah. And this is only like three, four weeks out. It's three yeah, wow. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm trying to prep to, 
you know, not freeze and help other people prep to not freeze. And, you know, these camps are building out and they're getting ready. You know, they couldn't wait to ask for more people. And the reason is, you know, Enbridge, there's legal disputes abound. You know, the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce is suing the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission because they said that the Public Utilities Commission did not prove the necessity of that pipeline. Speaking of necessity, necessity defenses, opposite of necessary. (laughs) And, you know, even their Chamber of Commerce is saying that, you know, not exactly, you know, the radical tree hugger central, but there's no injunction on laying that pipeline in the ground and they have a lot of the easement under their control. And, you know, it's kind of the last, um, they're pushing as hard and fast as they can to try to get those sections in the ground so that when the court cases come, they can say, oh, it's a done deal. Right. Already happened. So, uh, the, first of all, you mentioned the great documentary film, Necessity, Oil, Water, and Climate Resistance, which folks can check out at necessitythemovie.com. And again, um, Extinction Rebellion Kentucky has been hosting this uh, great fundraiser screening of the film uh, and and had a recent panel. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to participate in any of that, so I'm glad I've got you now and I'm, I'm learning about it now. Um, but get, for folks who haven't seen the documentary and aren't familiar with the situation, let's just let's just frame it up. So, who is Enbridge, <laughs> and and what is this Line Three intended to do? Okay, so you know Enbridge is a major mover of of oil, and in this case, we're talking about the tar sands oil coming out out of Alberta, and um, Some of the dirtiest form fall- of energy on Earth, right? The tar sands. Mm-hmm. It's the same. This is the same project that Keystone. Yeah. You know, Keystone. So, so the, the tar sands are landlocked. They're in Alberta. They're very difficult to process. They require huge amounts of chemicals to take this sort of, you know, it looks like clay with a black streak, you know, a little... Literally sandy tar. You can <laughs> see something like that stuff in... I mean, I've seen something like that in certain places in Kentucky. Not, oh, yeah? Not common, but yeah. It's like clay with like a little t- kind of faint seams, and then they they have to process it with gajillions of gallons of chemicals in order to make it fluid enough and heat it up and put it under pressure in order to get it to move through pipelines mm. because... You know, you can't, it's not efficient to move it by truck. Like, what are you going to, you know, even rail, you couldn't make any money moving tar sands anyway, but pipeline. Well, they have an old leaky line three. They're, they're playing this off like they're, oh, we're, we care about the earth. We are repairing our 70 year old, you know, troubled old pipeline needs some repairs. And this is bringing it into the new century, but they're not. They're looking for a new easement. They're not taking the pipeline where it is and fixing it and putting it back. They're getting a separate easement that's nearby, you know, and um, maybe running as many as four lines. It's a huge pipeline because in order to make that tar sands work, to make it worth the trouble, you have got to move a ton of volume because as we're always, you know, talking about, Hmm. you know, carbon and like the way that fossil fuels have empowered us to live 
the low hanging fruit is gone. Now we're in these like super deep water drilling scenarios or up in the Arctic or this tar sands and it's not cost effective, sort of like fracking and, you know, a lot of the fracking is with natural gas prices at like a buck 50. So yeah, it's, Keystone got blocked. Dakota Access Pipeline, you know, is another related line. It's a related piece in this web of infrastructure that led up to Standing Rock. And now they're trying to push through this line three. And Minnesota state government just gave the green light for them to start putting sections in the ground. And it'll move Alberta oil to the Great Lakes. And it's across indigenous lands. There's wild rice. You know, these are like... yeah this is where the wild rice is harvested and it's just irreplaceable. And, you know, people always say, well, you know, it's great new pipeline. It's not going to leak. Forget (laughs) the leaking driving, uh, you know, 50 bulldozers down an easement through the middle of these sacred ancient wetlands across all the wild rice fields, across the headwaters of the Mississippi, across hundreds of watersheds is enough destruction. And so there's indigenous camps set up, McGeezy, the Ginu Collective, I have Red Lake, like, and I'm just speaking out of a book right now because I'm not up there, you right. know, but I'm really excited to go answer the call and support because it feels like the best chance to do that that I've ever had. Well, that's awesome. And we're going to talk more about the logistics and getting up there and everything. But um, the story of resistance to the Keystone XL pipeline is something that really needs to be celebrated. I mean, this this seemed like at the time it was first you know brought to awareness like oh no here's another done deal uh what what can we possibly do but uh, such a great coalition of groups not just environmental groups but even things like you know pretty conservative farmers in nebraska you know this great coalition movement was able to stop the building of this pipeline to serves the same purpose as line three unfortunately to export tar sands uh and and it's just it's worth celebrating that fact that people power uh and it inspires us then to take action to resist line three right yeah i mean people are not giving up and neither are the oil companies and so you know people's got their shirt black snake killer because like that's what time it is this is the dying gasp Hmm of that industry like if they can't get a pipeline out of alberta to the west coast they can't get a pipeline out of alberta through new york to the atlantic they can't get a pipeline out of alberta to the great lakes to barge it they can't get a pipeline under the ogala aquifer yeah because farmers were like whoa 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 (laughs) and down to oklahoma they can't get a pipeline anywhere they can't move the star sands. They have to stop digging it up. And so that's what we're doing. We're choking it off. And it's like when Keystone, I, I lived in Houston when there was resistance against the southern leg of the Keystone XL pipeline. But I wasn't in any position to come help because my kids were little and I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, the backup. And I just, when it came around again now, it's been this like vague idea in my head, you know, like I've kind of known that this is happening and maybe I could get my act. Now it's like, no, I'm going hmm. like, I'm going to figure this out for you. because yeah. it's just, if anybody would go, I feel like it would be me, but now I'm finding other people for a game and I'm going to meet people from New York and I'm going to meet people from all over the place 
I'm, I'm saying New York because I just started working on a logistics handout with some people in New York. And yeah. like, I know people that I've been meeting online for a year and a half. I've never seen any of them in person. And the first place we're going to lay eyes on each other in real life is going to be at a frozen camp in Minnesota alongside the line three. And I feel like Extinction Rebellion is finally figuring out what to do, which, you know, a place and a way to like really back up indigenous leadership and get out of the way, but like bring bodies like we claim. That's awesome. You know, just like in last year, the thing to do was to show up at Justice for Breonna and show up in Black Lives Matter. And like now it's the indigenous call. And I think it's important to, to kind of counter some of the, the oil companies words. Um, I'm a union person. So the word right to work comes to mind. Um, we talk about energy independence, but this is actually not energy independence. Yeah. Either for Canada or the United States, either one. And uh, maybe we can unpack some of that. You know, why, why do we need to pipe oil in when Ford has just announced it's going to all electric vehicles, for example? Um, not that I'm a fan of electric vehicles either, but it just feels like, like you say, um, this is the end of an industry. What what can that oil be used for other than vehicles? And obviously it'll be a while before uh, the, the, the carbon vehicles that zoom across the highways now are replaced by electric, but. Well, you know, a lot of the thing that can't be shifted, they're the hardest thing to shift is heavy machinery for mining. <laughs> for one thing, right? Because you can't run, you know, you can't run those big machines that um, do the strip mining or that do, you know, what if you if you want uranium, you want copper, you want lithium, it will lithium. I guess they like lay it out in beds in a real crazy way down in Chile. I was watching that somewhere mm. and dry it. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's just uh, a lot of heavy equipment. Heavy industry electric. Yeah. You can't run those big motors electric. So, like, a lot of the fossil fuel is going to be used in mining in the long run. And logging. And smelting. And, yeah, yeah, the other extractive industries. I wonder if they make home heating oil out of tar sands products, too. I mean... They claim it can be used to produce gasoline on the Union of Concerned Scientists yeah. page I was looking up. Cause I, was, I mean, just or whatever you do with oil. It's just the hard... The thing about it is that... Um, it's so it's so energy intensive to process it. Yeah. And because it's so viscous a product, it's more dangerous to transport it through pipelines because it you know there's friction and it heats up. Uh, and I've, I remember in the resistance to previous, you know, the Keystone XL reading about <laughs> that uh, increasing the dangers of a failure of the pipes. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why they think they need to replace line three here right right well in line three right now yeah it's not in any shape to move quantity of tar sands at all what the new pipe they're building it's like 900 i need to look at the speed it's not 900 million gallons per you know i mean it's like it's super hot and fast and yeah three times as big as the pipeline they just three times wow yeah it's like diameter of the set it's it's gigantic. Wow. Well, you and know, when so, you get a little because, like leak said, in there's that, no, there's bad. not that much oil in there. <laughs> yeah. 
they, and, and, they have to move so much volume. And meanwhile, yeah. we're in a situation where oil prices are at record lows. Like the value of this stuff they're trying to move through this pipe is at an all-time low. Uh, so it certainly seems like the writing is on the wall for for this industry. And it's incredible uh, how much companies like Enbridge and their friends in government, whether it's Canadian government or U.S. government, um, are, are willing to sacrifice in order to keep this industry going. Uh, in the face of, you know, market forces and global climate change, right? Right. It's just, it's that last, you know, it's the last chance for that buddy network to pay each other. Well, I mean, there's never a last chance. Sorry, <laughs> just kidding. But for for this, you know, for this round, there's no, like I said, economically unviable in the long term and serves no clear public purpose hmm. that's what you know residents of great lakes petition says because it's just an export gig to make a few people a lot of money right as we know we have to do something entirely different and nobody thinks this will keep this will be part of a long-run story it's sort of like when the coal companies were going bankrupt and they're trying to get their last days of mining before they can, you know, and then try to restructure so they can deal their public obligations, yeah. not pay people, not pay for cleanup, not have bonds for cleanup. Everybody who's in that fossil fuel industry is just trying to like suck out their last dollar while they're getting good and then find the projects like, well, now they're into um, making hydrogen because hydrogen seems like a really clean it helps people feel like they're participating in a new civilization that's not exceeding planetary limits, even though it's being produced by like methane. <laughs> and <laughs> so, uh, whoops, you know, and they're claiming, you know, so like this um, underground storage uh, facility that's like angling to get built on the Ohio River, saying we're going to um, store green hydrogen for this uh, long view, I think power plant that um, is going to burn green hydrogen. Well, if you can burn green hydrogen, you can burn any kind of hydrogen. Mm. And the chances of it being made through wind and solar and electrolysis of water is zero because there's not sufficient scale of wind and solar in the region, but there's a hell of a lot of natural gas. So chances are it's going to be gray hydrogen produced by burning fossil fuels to make it. And so it's just all these, it's just all this trickery to try to keep people on track to use more and just to keep, to assume they're going to use the same amount of stuff that they always had and that they should, you know, zone heat their whole house at 70 degrees and yeah. so, so wearing hats and coats. Yeah, yeah. Um, so give us a, an update on the status of this project and, and why the timing in March is so critical. Well, because they, like I said, there's no injunction. So there's several, you know, there's treaty lawsuits and there's the chamber of commerce lawsuit. And there's some people with the necessity defense and there's like a lot of legal action pushing against this. There's a lot of people pushing on the Biden administration to okay you cancel keystone we'll cancel the rest of it because it's the same same stuff guys yeah. and same exports you know same 
failure of vision. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like Doug was saying, it's not the best way to make jobs either. They claimed that they were going to be hiring Minnesota people and that they were going to have special programs to, you know, so that the benefits of the construction would go to indigenous people. And that's been just fail. Yeah. <laughs> Epic fail. <laughs> not you know, most try. of the workers are from out of state, like they always are. They've got these, you know, so these are tiny towns, a town of, you know, 650 people, a town of 1300 people. And they've got what almost a couple thousand pipeline workers coming in. So there's all these tensions, you know, and, and it plays a lot on that working man guy mm. against the indigenous woman, frankly, because the camps are, are women led and it's, um, you know, a lot of the, energy around this campaign is around protecting indigenous women where you know missing and murdered indigenous women indigenous women go missing at a rate you know seven times everybody else yeah i'll just jump in here you know these are ojibwe lands and Anishabe. it is the um headwaters of the mississippi river right. so you know there are a lot of symbolic but not so symbolic reasons why this is just not right. Mm. Um, we've made treaties over hundreds of years with people and gone back on those treaties. When people come to court, come to the Supreme Court, go through the federal court system, the court system ultimately always ends up ruling for, for the natives on the treaty, on indigenous people. But it just feels like people can run roughshod over that if you're building a pipeline. And we need to look at why. why is that? You know, why is it okay to build a pipeline over uh, the headwaters of the Mississippi River. Why is it okay still? It's kind of like Breonna Taylor. Now, you yeah. can talk about police violence, and then you have Breonna Taylor, and, and it wakes people up. I think the, the timing of this is for people to wake up and see. For indigenous people, uh, there's a recent court ruling, I believe in Nebraska, um, giving people, maybe it was Kansas, um, giving indigenous people back their land. But what does that mean to people? You know, it you win these court victories, but what does it mean? What does it look like? How does it feel? And I don't think any of us would want this invasion on, on our property. Yeah, they are, they're routing them. They, they were originally going to route this line closer to Bismarck. They realized that it wouldn't fly and they moved it closer to reservation and, and indigenous, indigenous lands. Because they know that, uh, that there's, you know, easier route to go through uh, the most marginalized they think it's people right? to push over, you yeah. know, just like what Doug was saying, what, because people just what assume, you know, um, somebody, uh, an indigenous woman I was listening to is like, yeah, people always say that, uh, oh, that's a really old document. I think it's Tara and necessity. Um, you know, like those are, that's old stuff. That's those treaties. That's 200 years ago. Forget about it. It's not, uh, it's not, part of today and she's like yeah your constitution's a really old document too and i see first <laughs> amendment cases all the time yeah yeah and that's yeah. what they said during gold rush times there was land that was given back to people or protected through treaty but as soon as something valuable is discovered on it then uh, the the colonial powers say well wait a minute what we really need is this and what we really need is this um so I do think it's troubling that 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 is still how our government works. Um, we still give subsidies to oil companies 
as a country. Um, you know, even though we have Joe Biden as president, even though the the Excel pipeline was canceled, we still give subsidies to oil companies. And why is that? Um, we still allow blatant lies. Uh, you know, think about windmills in Texas. You know, how is it that the power industry, our own Andy Barr, uh, the coal lobby, you know, blamed in, and there's articles about this just from yesterday. Um, our own Kentucky Andy Barr is, is trying to blame this power failure in Texas on windmills, right. um, <laughs> on the clean energy, which is so ironic, but that's the game. I mean, the, the game is to tell people, to tell gullible people things that aren't true. And so not only are these people called water protectors and, you know, we've, we've just started trading water futures uh, on the stock market. So we know water is a precious commodity. Why would we want to Ow, invest in a that. process that that puts water at, at, at even greater risk? And I think there's opportunity for all of us. We know post COVID-19, the world needs to be better and different. And it actually could be. I think people have seen the fracture lines in our colonial society. Lots of folks have been insulated from it. But now people know somebody who's died of COVID-19 yeah. and government didn't do what they were supposed to do. Uh, people see what's happened in Texas and say, well, well, isn't this something government should be involved in? And people basically say back, government was involved. That's why you have the problem. So I think it's important for and people to see their power. New Orleans, that, you know, they learn that every time there's a big disaster, people learn that the government, um, Oh, and it's so weird. Like I'm now I'm like uh, channeling Ronald Reagan or something like, you know, the worst words that you hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Right, right. And it's like the government could be so much, the government could be so much more useful and so much more representative and so much more, you know, for the people, but it sure ain't. We're speaking today on Truth to Power with Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion Kentucky, me, Justin Mogg from Sustainability Now, and Doug Lowry from our Forward Radio community partner, Sowers of Justice Network. Uh, we're talking about people's resistance to uh, the fossil fuel build-out, as we've covered in many ways on this uh, station in in recent past and on this show in particular. Uh, and today we're really talking about the resistance to the Enbridge Line 3 build-out that's happening in Minnesota right now. And uh, Extinction Rebellion has issued a call to organize people to head up to Minnesota starting in early March. Uh, to prepare for the cold and to join the encampment. Uh, we'll, we'll, again, we'll, we'll touch on some of those details uh, soon here on the show. Uh, but if you want general information about uh, the project and the people's resistance to it, you can find it at stopline3.org, and that's the number three. Um, so I think what probably is in a lot of people's minds it, when they think about this kind of work, and the most recent example is what happened at Standing Rock. Uh, and that was a well, it was a long in encampment and resistance, uh, but it was definitely in the middle of winter too. Uh, remind our listeners what that was about. Uh, uh, that this this is a different pipeline, right? Yeah, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, you know, and it's it's just a, a many headed, a many headed <laughs> hydra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I guess they had um, they were told to shut it down and oil stopped flowing there for a time um but they got those pipe sections in the ground you know in the end and 
I mean, it's still, it's still challenged. It's still, you know, there was a, a run recently by indigenous uh, young, young people who were connected to the Standing Rock and they had people doing solidarity runs, you know, all over the country and people haven't forgotten about Dakota Access. Just people are done letting that business meeting, they tell everyone that they're listening and then they do exactly what they always plan to do regardless. You know, it's like we went to the Orsenko hearing and there was a, 587 public comments and 586 were against them <laughs> changing their relationship with pollution control standards. But like, that's what they did because they felt like this is what we have to do. Like, this is where, oh, we're balancing, you know, between industry and people. And it's like the industry just keeps getting what they want. And so now there's this sense of real, you know, defend the sacred. Yeah. You know, that's something that the woman from Camp McGeezy kept saying was like that a lot of activists throw themselves into a fight in a way that's sort of, she didn't say it this way, but she, you know, that's like repeating white supremacist models of living where everything is about producing and everything is about, you know, it's not about relationships, it's about getting stuff done. And that, you know, it creates that conflict that comes out of not realizing that everyone else is a part, you know, they were all part of each other and that this is going to be a really healing trip, you know, and there was a lot of beautiful energy around Standing Rock and there was a lot of head-on confrontational energy around Standing Rock and the people who were there got sprayed with fire hoses, you know, in Dakota winter. Yeah. Uh, There were lives lost. um, So... The police are escalating. They're trying to get Inbridge put up money ahead of time in a way that didn't happen um, with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Inbridge put a big slush fund that law enforcement can access to do the job for them of protecting their line. Like Inbridge is directly paying it, reimbursing the Minnesota Sheriff's Department. Minnesota Sheriff's Office has requested that the Tar Sands Pipeline Company Enbridge reimburse the department for nearly $72,000 worth of riot gear and more than $10,000 in less than lethal weapons and ammunition, including tear gas, pepper spray, beanbag and sponge rounds, flashbang devices, and batons. This is Sheriff's Office of Beltrami County, which sits at the center of an indigenous-led fight to stop the destruction of Enbridge Line 3. And they labeled it as personal protective equipment. Wow. Wow. They labeled it as P. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so get some COVID I, relief I need money some to. Flashbang devices <laughs> to uh, protect myself. Yeah. Keep your distance, people. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. And so a key part of the timing of this, too, I mean, we're, the, the people are trying to pressure, uh, uh, push against this pipeline from many different directions if there's a multi-headed hydra out there we've got to resist it with another multi-headed attack right so there are the legal cases that are going on and i know oral arguments are are set in the minnesota court of appeals for for starting march 23rd but the other big direction is to resist the investments uh that that are funding these projects so on march 31st 
Uh, 18 banks have, have a $2.2 billion loan to Enbridge that is due for renewal. And those 18 banks are going to have to decide whether to continue funding the destruction of native lands and indeed the, the destruction of humanity on Earth or walk away from this sort of colonial white supremacist toxic uh, project, right? And so we can put pressure on those banks as well as through the court systems, right? Right. And, you know, that's definitely something that indigenous leaders um, put forward. Like there were widespread lockdowns at Wells Fargo banks, you know, mm. earlier in the season. And they said, well, it gets a lot easier to get a meeting with, you know, directors at Wells Fargo when their branches all over the country shut down. Yeah, And so, you know, one of the trainings I'm going to so the training that you guys who are hearing this now just missed on um, Friday at 7 p.m. is the first training about outreach and organizing and building a mass mobilization. There's a training on February 23rd at 6 p.m. Eastern time, um, Indigenous Solidarity for Allies and Accomplices, okay. which is going to be about how to support Indigenous leadership and know that you're doing that right. Then Anatomy of an Action, so legal briefing, skill building, prep. And then the last training on March 3rd is solidarity actions, how to make an impact from anywhere. And I think there will definitely be solidarity actions organized in Louisville um, by folks who can't come. And I totally understand it's pretty hard to come. You know, it's 800 miles from here and very cold. <laughs> and um, so I'm just at a point in my life where I can go. But like, I mean... I might not have been right. It came really close to where I might not have been in a place to go. And I got plenty of, you know, friends. So who aren't in a place to go. So my friend Alex, um, is gathering food donations. She works with food, not bombs in Louisville. And so we're gathering, f um, food supplies for a bulk kitchen. Um, nice. you know, people can send money directly to the Ginu collective. Um, if you go to that stop line three page, you'll get to everything else. There's also that link tree, which is link tr.ee slash stop line three. Um, and that has donate to legal defense fund, donate to frontline camps, sign a pledge, pathways to join, updates. So again, that's um, HTTP link tr.ee slash stop line number three. Um, and so there's a lot of ways to get plugged in from anywhere. And the people who can afford to go and be next to the easement um, will be fully expecting and appreciating and, you know, working in solidarity with people everywhere. Yeah. And they're aiming for this big week to be the week of March 8th to the 15th, roughly, um, but I mean, people are coming before and after and on and on, but we're trying to catch Biden's attention, catch those banks attention. Yeah. They banks pull your money, Biden pull, you want to claim to be a climate president, like you can't do it and fund like three or let it go. Right. And most people are not aware how much it, I mean, part of it is from oil spills. So there was an oil spill and basically the government said, you know, Inbridge caused this problem by failing to inspect the pipes. So that's where we got 
that's how we got to this replacement. So they settled for something like a tenth, $1.8 million fine for failing to thoroughly inspect the pipelines, but it actually cost more than a billion with a B, a billion dollars um, to actually do the cleanup. And so, you know, it's not just the environmental costs, you know, there's there are environmental costs that are irreplaceable, but our money, your, your money, your money and my money goes to clean that up. So a company like this doesn't actually pay the true cost of, of doing the damage. We pay for it. We pay for it both with consequences we can't live with for generations and generations. But literally, we're paying millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, for this company to do bad work. Um, so that's another regulatory angle, I think, is and where we can put pressure on the financiers is to make them liable um, and, and other companies, uh, other uh, social justice efforts have done this sort of same sort of thing is to make investors, people who, who are in it to make money can be held fiscally responsible for negative outcomes. So that's another way um, if there are people investing in this, you know, they're, they should be legally responsible and have to pay the actual cost, not just a, a fine cost, but the actual cost of cleanup. Yeah, and there are insurance companies involved too, and that's always a big angle is like getting people to lose their insurance. And I think it's Liberty Mutual in this case. Right. So, so the more yeah. we know and put fingers on you, know, a lot of people cannot go to Minnesota, land of 10,000 uh, ice flows as it is this <laughs> time of year. Um, but all of us can take some action. You can call senators here. You know, you don't have to live in Minnesota. Um, you can call banks. Um, Banks are, are fairly responsive to people, and there are lots of ways for us to use our advocacy, even if we can't physically be there, and then to be in solidarity with people. Um, there are lots of ways to support people. You may not be able to physically be there, but there are people who just need the resources to be able to go and, and stand there for us, you know, so we can be in solidarity. Yeah, there's definitely some ways to do that solidarity work directly with indigenous communities at that um, link tree slash link three. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes for this program, which you can find uh, on the SoundCloud version of our, our podcasts, which are all reproduced and available at forwardradio.org. Uh, so that uh, can be your home for community action this week. Uh, we're talking with Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky, and Doug Lowry from uh, Source of Justice Network. I'm Justin Mogg from Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. And we're talking about people's resistance to the Enbridge Line 3 uh, project in Minnesota and, and joining in solidarity with the water protectors, the indigenous people, Man, shout out to the women of color, again, uh, leading the nation in, in resistance to uh, violence of all kinds. <laughs> in this case, violence against the whole planet and, and perhaps violence against protesters. Um, but yeah, I mean, something that Alice mentioned briefly is this the, the state of indigenous women in America, the number of... Uh, cases or, or even undocumented <laughs> events of uh, disappeared women of color, uh, indigenous women of color and uh, r r rapes and sexual assaults. Uh, it's through the roof right now. It's it, it's a crisis in America that um, continues to be ignored. And in in a lot of ways, it's all tied up with these fossil fuel projects as well. Uh, we know that, like Alice was mentioning, 
bringing in a lot of, you know, workers from out of town, out of state, uh, hundreds of workers with nothing to do, <laughs> and usually young men. I mean, it just these these work camps and can with a sense of like really violent, dangerous. Um, violent antagonism with the indigenous communities like these indigenous communities don't know what real progress is they don't know you know it's not like they drove up to the they're driving there you know they don't what they want us to all get rid of our cars and our yeah. heat you know and and not have pipelines you know sort of uh rhetoric which i had never connected I didn't realize how that had become an excuse until I was yeah. listening to the way an indigenous woman was talking about it. And I was like, not only is it the regular bro antagonism, there's like this sexual violence element to it for them. And it's also something that's really old, Yeah, you know, because way, way before, before, well, really white settlers have been having, extractive industry men camps since the settling of America yeah. logging camps railroad camps and they've always looked at indigenous women as this like seductive dark other mm -hmm. and I mean I I actually was just talking to a Kentucky friend who at the time down in Texas and he had met a woman who was stalked for being a pretty dark-haired girl in Minnesota like she was from Minnesota and when he met her in Texas, she was like, yeah, they were trying to, I mean, they're trying to catch people. It's like, it's like catchers, like in a bad kids animated movie. Wow. And I just, it's gotten a lot real for me. I've thought about it a lot lately. Yeah. So, I mean, having a direct presence of, of people who are able to travel up there to, to, to join the water keepers and, 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 try and stop this pipeline but also just bring awareness and shine a light on this situation and what it's doing to indigenous communities in our nation um it's just so vital it's such vital work i really honor you for for doing it and for braving this alice uh and i'm certainly hope you're not the only kentucky representative who ends up up there uh are you trying to organize like a a, a, a caravan or or how's this going to work like logistically do you think yeah a car caravan would be good um there are regional organizers but like kentucky's always in the borderlands where they don't know where to put us so yeah. we're linked to like the i i know there's an organizer from new orleans who's like the south okay yeah. and i'm like well sort of it's kind of, we're kind of on the way <laughs> um, i know a woman in columbus um you know who i might loop in and then we start driving together but you know if anybody's interested just email our proton email that xrebelky at protonmail.com and, uh, you know, or come to these trainings and then via these trainings, we're going to get orientation packets in people's hands, but we want people to go to the trainings about being good indigenous allies about, um, you know, an action and legal training. You know, we want people to go to the trainings if they can, because, um, it'll just give us more of a shared basis, but there's also going to be, you know, like some practical guidance to people who are going to the trainings. But I mean, you also, like I said, just email me at xrebelky at protonmail.com and I can try to um, 
yeah, just kind of channel the yeah. Kentucky energy yeah. around both, you know, donations and uh, physical presence. Yeah. And are you collecting items in, to bring up there in terms of mutual aid? I, I, I'm trying to figure out yeah. <laughs> who's medicating where. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I assume like medic supplies are going to be useful to any group. Right. And like toilet paper and bulk foods. So yeah. like, you know, good dry goods, but you know, so I can carry some amount of that. And, um, yeah, we do have a collector yeah. in Louisville. Alex Akers is gathering. Nice, nice. So again, you can get in touch with Al, uh, with with Alice uh, at xrebelky at protonmail.com if you want to help out or if you're interested in uh, traveling up to Minnesota with her. Um, it, it, I guess it's not really clear how long people are committing for. People are probably going up for different lengths of time as well. But there's going to be a big week of action March 8th to 15th, right? Right. Yeah, so that's the key So that's, time. like, basically the call put out by the indigenous people. But I do, you know, of the existing camps who are, yeah, who are organizing from that end. Although my sense is, you know, the longer people can commit, the better. Because basically they've been getting arrested over and over again yeah. for months already. And they just, they need fresh people, but people who can handle themselves so that you're not draining on the camp right. <laughs> you're adding to it and building it out because i like I, said, I think a lot of the people from that end who are organizing are from minnesota yeah and i think that they may under you know like it's just different if you're coming from kentucky and you're walking into that than if you've always lived there yeah just... i was talking to an herbalist and he, his mom became a doctor um and was working on a reservation in North Dakota and he said he would visit at Christmas time that that was like when he could visit. <laughs> he was like, it was like 60 below his lighter was frozen. He was like, you know, making a fire. He said it was Flint and steel and, uh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But it's not going to be that cold. Yes. It's March in Minnesota, not Christmas in North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh Hopefully God. the polar volt vortex will uh, ease up a little bit for you all up there. Um, and uh, we want to let you know that we're going to try and keep reporting on this uh, here on Forward Radio, um, that Alice has committed to be our correspondent up in Minnesota at <laughs> Line 3. And assuming you'll have some Internet access or phone access uh, we really look forward to getting some updates from you on the ground. I mean, that's that's a, what the power of community radio. We can do stuff like that uh, and, and have uh, a real uh, grassroots perspective on what's going on, because I'm sure the mainstream media is going to cover a lot of the circus, right, and miss out on a lot of the, the true story about what's going on in the camps. And they probably will just miss it all together for a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I want to hear where's the media coverage on water futures being traded. Yeah. I mean, I follow a lot of different threads of news and I hadn't heard that. Like, Yeah, it's a step. That's a step that was bound to happen, but one that I didn't realize had already happened. Yeah. In the, uh, hopefully uh, casinos will um, not be the main source of revenue for indigenous <laughs> people. Water futures sounds like a, a, a truer way to make a living uh, oh, in man. the world. <laughs> 
That sounds like um, Charles Eisenstein and Sacred Economics. I highly recommend. And uh, he's got a thing about making money being based on resources in the ground, standing for right. water. You know, leave the gold under the ground. Who needs it up here? To, you know, just <laughs> right. it as a basis for money because, you know, the way that money works as an exchange medium is so much so flexible we've come to realize <laughs> well we're we're nearing the end of our time together and i do know that alice you need to run to a training for this action in minnesota so we don't want to keep you too much longer but if we could just end by making the connection directly back to what's happening here in the Ohio River Valley. We've covered this on the station before, but if you could just touch briefly on uh, what you see as the connections between the resistance against Line 3 and the resistance against the, the petrochemical build-out right here at home. Thanks for that question. Um, I mean, it's all, like the, the coalition organizing in the Ohio River Valley is called People Over Petro. And what does it mean? It means that we need to privilege human needs over big money to people who, you know, gambled on fossil fuels. And like, let's say they lost, yeah. like, let's say some of those people are going to lose money and like, that's okay with us. And then we don't have to socialize their risk in investing in something that's like a bad move for all life on yeah, earth yeah you know in the sh immediate term when they bury those pipes and cause all those landslides in west virginia trying to move natural gas around on steep hills and through karst territory in kentucky and get all you know and later when it's burned mm. it's a bad deal all around and it's you know so in the ohio river valley like like i said look for that coalition people over petro and there, you know, it's about how it's about turning fracked gas into plastic, but it's always about trying to get a economic return yeah. on the dregs of the fossil fuels comparatively to what we've already burned. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for, for making that connection for us. And uh, we're going to let you go so you can get to your training. Thank you so much join, for joining us, Alice, today from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. Uh, again, you can find her uh, through Facebook, facebook.com slash xrebelky, or contact her directly at xrebelky at protonmail.com. Best of luck to you, Alice, in these uh, coming uh, days of training and then the, the journey up there. And the, we look forward to connecting uh, to you and getting uh, an on-the-ground report from Minnesota. Yeah, I'll do my best to keep you posted. I'm uh, going to get a laptop warmer box yeah. <laughs> and a bunch of flash drives, and I'm already scheming about it. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, cool. I'm glad you're thinking about oh, those man, logistics. Talk to you later, Justin. And really nice to meet you tonight, Doug. Bye now. Thank you so much, Alice. Uh, and thank, Alice. thank you, Doug, for joining me this evening. We could do a little bit of forward promotion, which is highly unusual for this particular show because we're always flying by the seat of our pants with whoever, uh, whoever can join us around the microphones. But we have already planned out our program for next week, haven't we, Doug? And I'm really, really excited about it. I almost feel like... Uh, 
Monty Python here with, and now for something completely different, um, because next week we're going to be talking about Burma or Myanmar and the coup that has recently taken place there. We're going to um, try and bring you up to speed on the situation in Myanmar. What, it, what if any, connections there are to U.S., foreign policy and practices and, and colonialism, uh, and also uh, get a little update on what's going on with refugees from Myanmar uh, here, right here in Louisville, because we're going to be speaking to some folks from uh, the, the fantastic organization, Kentucky Refugee Ministries. Uh, we're going to hear from, uh, you, you want to tell them who we're going to hear from? We're going to hear from Adrian Eisenminger, who works at KRN, and some of the folks that she's familiar with. So, uh, as you know, Kentucky Refugee Ministry does great work, but Crescent Hill Baptist Church also has an entire community of people from Myanmar. Um, so there are a lot of folks in our community who care deeply about what's happening there and can talk about the relationship of U.S. foreign policy to some of these matters and what we could and should do, but also personalize what's going on there because it is something that's closer than we think. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then we're also going to get some folks from U of L to join us uh, for the conversation about Myanmar next week on this program. Uh, Jason Abbott is the director of U of L's Center for Asian Democracy. Uh, and he's even giving a talk uh, coming up this Wednesday, I believe. I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, he'll be giving a talk soon next week uh, about the Myanmar coup and the situation there, along with uh, a, a student at U of L who's a Myanmar uh, native, David Leon. We're also trying to get David on our program as well, but definitely I've got confirmed that Jason Abbott will be joining us. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting conversation next week, and I and I hope you all will tune in again and uh, join us for that exciting conversation about uh, foreign affairs that we uh, often uh, just fail to get around to here on Forward Radio because there's so much going on locally for us to cover. But uh, there's definite connections to what's happening right here in Louisville and the work of KRM. And uh, so we, we want to bring a grassroots perspective to this story that you may have picked up in mainstream media, but again, probably aren't getting the full story on. So we'll have a we'll have a full hour to dive deep into the situation of Burma and Myanmar. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, and thank you so much, Doug, for joining me and helping organize all this. Glad to be here, Justin. And again, if people want to learn more about Sowers of Justice, where should they go? Sowersofjusticenetwork.org. You can go to our Facebook page. We partner with Fellowship of Reconciliation for Third Thursday lunches. So just to throw it out there, the third Thursday in March will be Kevin Cosby talking about reparations. So come join us and let's hear as the sparks fly. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Okay, good. Lots of stuff to look forward to. And uh, we'll be covering it all here on your community radio station, Forward Radio, WFMP, LP, Louisville. Broadcasting for nearly four years. Coming up in April, it'll be our four-year anniversary of broadcasting uh, the people's voices from right here in the historic Haven building at 106.5 FM and, and forwardradio.org. So uh, keep up the good fight, y'all, and thank you for joining us here on Truth to Power. We'll be back again in one week's time talking about Myanmar. So stay tuned, everyone.